Well, today we are going to continue our series in the Holy Spirit. We, we started this year, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but we started this year looking at the various things that the Scripture teaches us about what make up our faith. And the reason that we did this is because you don't have to read very many studies or, or hear about very many surveys of the modern church today to know that there is a lack of theological understanding. In fact, there are many people who are saying that in large degree, the church has a lot of biblical illiteracy in it. We don't know what we believe and we don't know why we believe it. And we all understand that that's a recipe for disaster over time. That the people who will remain faithful, the people who understand the, the uh, importance of being faithful and holding to a system of beliefs as defined in Scripture, that if they don't know what it is they believe and why they believe that, in a generation, it could be gone. And so it is important for us to understand what the Bible teaches us and what we believe about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit like we're studying today, about the Scriptures, about humanity, about salvation, about sin, about the things to come in eschatology, the end of time. Those things comprise and make up all the major divisions in the Bible about what we have as far as a system of beliefs. And we just started working our way through those things at the beginning of this year, and we are in this study now on the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? And I'm telling you, we're going to be in this all the way into the next year, too. So we're just going to continue studying this together. And today, we are looking at one of those graces or virtues that the Holy Spirit can bring about in our life through his powerful work in our heart and through changing our life. The long list of these things is called the fruit of the Spirit. And so as a part of this series, we've been studying what it looks like to be yielded to the Spirit or filled or controlled by the Spirit. And today's characteristic is gentleness. If we are truly controlled by the Spirit, we will be gentle. And so I just want to walk you through a study today on gentleness. I want you, I want myself to look into our own heart to see if we have thoughts of gentleness. I want us to survey our lives and see if they are full of words and actions of gentleness to see if the Holy Spirit is truly in control of this aspect of our lives. How many of us were tempted to be less than gentle this week? Anybody? You want to admit it? I have two friends over here. It's good to see both of your hands up. You live in a world where it's hard to be gentle, right? Absolutely. We all do, really, for that matter, right? It's not easy to be gentle. In fact, it is often easy to excuse not being gentle when you're right and somebody else is wrong, right? Especially if it's a critical issue and something that you know is a truth issue. How many of us understand that you can be firm but still be gentle, right? Today's culture is calling for us to be firm about some things. We're going to hear about at least one of those big things at the end of our service today. We need to be firm about right to life and sanctity of life and voting the right way as we contemplate the proposal, especially as it relates to that issue. Not as a matter of politics. It's not about politics for the church. It never has been. It's about what's right to us and what God clearly communicates in his word. And we need to be firm about that. But we also have got to be controlled by the Spirit in our firmness. 
We have to make sure that our interactions with our culture, as we defend, even vote for what we believe is right, that we do so in a godly way, because you can't do it in an ungodly way. Gentleness plays a part of that. You know, gentleness is not weakness or compromise. It's a spiritually cultivated, Holy Spirit-driven, manifested grace and virtue. Someone wrote this way about the topic in, in a book. They said, the next sentence is one of the most important spiritual truths that you will ever learn. God develops the fruit of the Spirit in your life by allowing you to experience circumstances in which you're tempted to express the exact opposite quality. Character development always involves a choice, and temptation provides that opportunity. So if you were tempted this last week to be less than gentle, that was your test. And that was your opportunity to grow in this grace of gentleness. God allowed it for you and for me to grow. In all of this, we can't forget that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit's working in us. The fruit of the Spirit is fundamentally relational. Rather than originating with us, it flows to us from our union with Christ, and it flows beyond us to bring us into fellowship with others. The secret of this flow and our unity with God and others is really summed up in one word, and that word is humility. None of us will ever be gentle as we're supposed to be unless humility has been cultivated in our hearts through a work of the Holy Spirit. But don't be fooled because gentleness is not weakness. Nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing so gentle as real strength. Only the weak are cruel Gentleness can only be expected from the strong. Being a gentle person means that though you have the power and potential to be devastating through your attitudes and actions, you control them so that you have a calming and soothing effect on others. Someone wrote these words in response to biblical teaching. They said, I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may it be only in prayer. And if I make a demand, may it only be of myself. You see, we all need to remember these words of an early church writer, where anger is a bursting flame. Gentleness is a gentle reign. And let us see if we're cultivating this and living it out in our lives today as we study it together. So we'll ask this question as we begin today. What is gentleness? What is it? Well, as we've already said, it is uh, referring to exercising God's strength under his control, demonstrating power without undue harshness. It speaks of then reserve and strength, power and control. It understands that because we have the ability, the power, the authority, or the strength to do something destructive, we choose not to do it, but rather instead we choose gentleness. And doesn't even the Bible express to us clearly along these lines when it says to us that a soft answer is what turns away wrath? 
So we have an opportunity, don't we? When in the heat of a temptation, in the spur of the moment, in that temptation where we want to perhaps even retaliate because someone else has been less than gentle to us, or maybe even in their words about us when we're not even in their presence, we want to retaliate. But gentleness wins the day. Only, only the weak are cruel. We must be gentle. So what does this gentleness look like? We're going to ask two more questions today. We're going to ask, how does gentleness look? And then the third question is going to be, how may I practice gentleness? And I hope these are are powerfully uh, applicational to you today and practical. But what does it look like to be gentle? Can I just give you some practical things as to what this would look like? First of all, it is putting others first, and it's not acting like it minds doing so, right? Some of us will put others first, but then you can really tell if you're around us that it really kind of bothers us that we've had to put somebody else ahead of ourselves. We complain about it. We say smart remarks about it. We try to do what we can to get the attention back on ourselves somehow, and our heart really isn't in it. That's not gentleness. Gentleness is humility. Gentleness is all about putting someone else ahead of yourself. Isn't it simply found in that almost trite acrostic that we would teach our children about joy, right? You remember that? Jesus, others, you. And as trite as that may sound and as simple and maybe even childish as that sound, doesn't it contain profound spiritual truth for us today? It's, it's so simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy to do, though, does it? Put others first and don't act like it, you mind doing it. That's gentleness. Gentleness doesn't hate or throw insults or those who are different in their beliefs, in their positions, or in their preferences. How many of you have seen something in, in the last week that is totally contrary to your belief, your position, or your preference on a particular matter? And how many of you are ready for the ads to end? Can we just get an amen today? Good grief. Sorry, guys, if you're running ads, I'm really sorry, but, I, you know, I've just had enough, okay? Gracious sakes. And you, I know, I know. It's a necessary evil. Is that what we're calling it today? Gracious sakes, right? But what I want to say to you today is that the strongest, most vocal, God-denying, life-hating person that you can think of, and I hope no names or faces just popped into your mind, but maybe they did, that, that those things... Those things, those people who stand for something that is, that is completely contrary, goes against everything you believe. I want you to, to remember with me that every one of them are people. Every one of them are people. They're made in God's image. Now, you might wish they would reflect God's image in just a little different way, right? Right? Maybe you want to help them with that. But I'll tell you, you'll never get the chance to help them with that if you're not gentle, if you're not kind and gracious. Firm, but gentle. Standing for truth, but godly, right? That's what God calls us to be. 
If we can't stand for truth in a godly way in our culture and in our society, we have no chance of being light in the darkness. We'll blend in because we're not really that much different than what's around us. There's a lot of hate around us. There's a lot of unkindness. There's a lot of ungodliness. And the only way, the only way that we stand out and are penetrating the darkness is if we are different. So don't throw insults and these things. Just remember, these are people. You can hold your beliefs and positions strongly, especially if they're rooted in God's word, but do so in a godly way. And let's remember this. Can we not remember that every one of us are sinners? Right? Weren't we all really just rotten and stinky before Jesus saved us? Right? And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and and the work of sanctification, we're really just still rotten and stinky if we were just honest about it. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you accepted that truth today as you sit here in this audience? Have you accepted that truth today? That all means me? All means everyone who's in the room? That we were all in this situation that we we couldn't do anything about? We were born this way. We were born this way. And as time goes on after we're born in our depravity, we become sinners by choice, right? We're sinners by birth, but we're also sinners by choice. You say, I don't know about that. Okay, just be honest. How many of you had perfect kids? Were they not all sinners? I mean, come on, it's so obvious, isn't it? None of us are good. We're all sinners. We know that. We needed a Savior. We needed Jesus. We needed him to die on the cross for our sins and make a way. We celebrated all that in this pool of water over here as these three candidates came and said, I'm professing Jesus. I put my faith in him for salvation at some point in the past, and I just want to tell everybody about it. just want to tell everybody about it and identify with Jesus. That's what they're doing. And I wonder if, we, if we've come to grips with this truth today. Has everybody come to grips with this truth? And then have you done something about it? Have you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, to save you from your sins? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't even know what all that means. Maybe it's just churchy language today, and I apologize for that. But I would love to talk to you about it. Maybe you have questions that I can't even answer today because I don't know what they are. But in a conversation, I could break it down the best I could. I'd love that opportunity I'll be around after today. Pastor Stephen will be around. You see the men who will be serving communion today. They're going to be around too. Find one of us. There will be several of us around. And just say, you know, I've got questions about Jesus and being a sinner and needing salvation. Don't leave here without your questions answered today. You know, good gentleness also looks like this. It, it extends grace to all, even the most difficult people. Do you have difficult people in your life? How do you manage them? Some of us are masters at ignoring and avoiding, right? We just ignore and we avoid. Yeah, but if we're going to we're going to make disciples even out of difficult people, guess what? We can't spend a life ignoring and avoiding difficult people. We'll never make a disciple out of them. They could be believers, they could be unbelievers. Doesn't matter. I'm called to make disciples. And if I ignore and avoid difficult people, I'm just saying there's a segment of God's creation who was created in his image that I can't reach. And you know what? That shouldn't be okay with any of us because that's disobedient. 
Now, is distance sometime the best thing? Yes, I'm not denying that. But we can't live in that world. We can't decide that habitually we're just going to ignore and avoid difficult people. You think the Apostle Paul was a little difficult before he got saved? Oh, yeah. Why do you think the disciples kind of ran from him and Barnabas had to come alongside of him and say, okay, guys, really, he's changed, right? What do you think about Peter? You think he had some rough edges? You think he was a little difficult to get along with? Yep. But somebody decided it was worth the risk of relating to someone who was difficult and challenging, of not ignoring and avoiding. And isn't Jesus our perfect example in both of those situations? I mean, he goes right to Saul, who became Paul, on the road to Damascus and just completely humbles him. You talk about an encounter with God, Paul had one. And then what about Peter? Jesus, the same thing, called Peter to himself. He didn't ignore and avoid difficult people. And didn't those knuckleheads that we call apostles today cause Jesus a lot of grief? Yeah, a lot of them were difficult. Jesus didn't ignore and avoid them. He made disciples out of them. And we're in a world full of difficult, challenging people, aren't we? Gentleness relates to them well, even when it's hard. Gentleness always provides kind correction for the purpose of restoration. What about Galatians 6.1? Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing or sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Why? Because pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? Again, here's humility tied to gentleness. If someone's overcome in a sin, it's my job, if I'm walking with the Lord, to relate to them well, to help restore them well, and to pay attention to myself so that I'm not in pride saying, I would never do that. Why? Then comes the fall. Watch out. You will fall. But Galatians says it's the one who's gentle that can come alongside of a fallen brother or sister in Christ and see them restored. Pride never does that. Pride finds fault. Pride even takes joy in telling other people about the failure, doesn't it? Not gentleness. Gentleness seeks restoration. And finally, gentleness looks like this. It answers softly even while being provoked. I mentioned this verse earlier, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Gentle, gentle, quiet, kind, gracious, even when someone's in your face yelling, gentle, gentle, kindness, grace, that's what gentleness looks like. It doesn't mean you can't disagree with somebody. It doesn't mean you can't have a different position or even a completely different belief system. It just means you seek after godliness in the disagreement. All right, finally, let's answer the third question. How may I practice gentleness? And we have some scriptures to read here, and we'll work our way through this list and, and add to this list. This isn't comprehensive. Take this home and add to it and go over it in your, your devotions and in your prayer time. Ask God to give you grace to do this stuff. We need to be considerate of others' feelings and needs as we are gentle. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That includes needs and feelings. And we need to be careful of that and gentle 
with that and, and attentive to that in the household of faith, but also outside of the household of faith. If you're gentle and kind with a sinner who needs Jesus, just think of how powerful that is in drawing them to the Father for salvation. If you're unkind, ill-tempered, speak angry words because there's a disagreement among you, just think of the repelling nature of that response in trying to see them come to Jesus. You see, we have to see beyond positions and beliefs and see people who have souls if we're going to be gentle with all. We need to also show empathy. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Empathize with people. Feel their joy and express it with them. Feel their pain and express it with them. Truly be empathetic with people. That's what gentleness does. Even with people who self-inflict, doesn't that wear you out after a while? Isn't that exhausting when you're with people who self-inflict pain, who, who cause their own messes, who create a storm and then cry when it rains? That's exhausting, right? But gentleness goes right in there. It doesn't matter if they deserve it or not, if they're worthy of it or not. We show empathy. We connect with people. We try to lead them to Jesus or help them in their journey that's already been established through empathy. We work at becoming persons and people who can connect with other people, even if it's not a part of our personality type, right? We grow beyond who we are in our personality and allow the Spirit to change us so that we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit. We're also patient, aren't we, if we're gentle? Look at Ephesians 4, 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. That's really a word for long-suffering, isn't it? You know that if you've studied your Bibles. We, we suffer long, we're patient, we, we accept one another in love. Even when it hurts, we're long-suffering. We remember what's often called the golden rule, too, don't we? Luke 6, 31. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same thing. For them. Put yourself in their place and, and try to see what it is that would meet your needs and help you grow and cause you to love more instead of being angry and resentful. Do that. Do that. Put yourself in their place. In all of our conversations, we need to be speaking respectfully to, just being respectful to everyone. Romans 12.10, show family affection to one another with brotherly love Outdo one another in showing honor. Be honorable. In all of your words and in all of your deeds, that's what gentleness looks like. We show honor. And truly, in that way, we can be gentle in a very harsh world. In the same chapter, we're supposed to be seeking peace too, right? Not stirring things up, but seeking peace. If possible, Romans 12, 18 says, On your part, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. It's not peace at any cost. We know where that road leads, right? That's not a good road. But it truly is having an attitude of peace. Sometimes there can't be peace. And even when those times of disagreement rise to the occasion where peace is not possible, guess what? We still must be godly. We still must be gentle in that time, even if peace cannot be obtained. Sometimes it's completely out of our control, right? 
but we still must be godly. We must only act with tenderness. I love Ephesians 4.32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We're to be tender, compassionate, kind, gentle with one another. And that will show itself through forgiveness. How about being a calming presence? When everything else is in turmoil, a gentle person is a calming presence. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and love and a sober mind or sound judgment. That individual is a calming presence. They truly understand biblical gentleness. And finally, as we draw our study to a close, all of it really does revolve around humility, as I said before. Look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. How do you do that, church? How are we going to walk worthy of the calling? How do we walk worthy of our salvation of the gospel? How are we not a reproach to the gospel? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. That one passage sums it all up. Humility. Humility is what this all revolves around and truly our pride gets in the way every single time. So let us be humble. Let us be holy. Let us pursue gentleness and let us see the work of the Spirit in us mightily for God's glory so that we truly can be salt and light in this world. Could I ask you to join me in an attitude and posture of prayer? Could we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment and just take some time to look inside of our hearts? I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone who has uh, gathered here today, and I'm not going to try to figure that out either, but I just want you to think about where you might be in your, in your spirituality. I talked about a verse earlier in the message in Romans 3 that all of us are sinners. We've fallen short of God's glory, which means that we need Jesus. And if you have questions about that today or you want to know more about that, please seek us out before you leave. I want to talk to you before you go. Please seek us out. As a believer, maybe God spoke to you about gentleness today. I know he did me whenever I was preparing for this message. I wish I had steel-toed shoes on when I was studying. Maybe you felt that way today. Maybe God stepped on your toes too, like he did mine. If you would say to me, Pastor, just pray for me. God spoke to my heart about gentleness. Would you remember me in prayer? Just raise your hand like mine is raised. Anybody need prayer for that today? Not gonna call you out. I just wanna remember you in prayer. Join me, anybody else? Father, help us all who struggle in this area to know your grace and your power through the Holy Spirit to truly see and cultivate gentleness. And God, just help us to be gentle people among a world that can be often cruel and mean and anything but gentle. Father, we also ask that you would prepare our hearts as we anticipate receiving the elements of communion in just a couple of minutes. We're going to receive the broken bread. We're going to drink the cup of juice, 
symbolic of your body which was broken on the cross and your blood that was shed for our sins. Help us to connect with this ordinance deeply today. May it truly, truly draw us closer to you in our love and devotion. And help us to be humbled by our experience around the table today. It's in the strong and powerful name of Jesus that I ask these things. Amen.